It's episode 56 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Dean. This week on the program is a very special guest, my old friend, Mike Montero. He's the founder of Mule Design, frequent speaker at design events worldwide, and the author of numerous books. Today, we turn our attention to the topic of presenting your design work, why it's important, and how to do it effectively. Mike, so glad you're on the show. Hello, Jeff. How are you? Thanks for having me. I am doing great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. 2019. Wow, everything's changed. Everything is new. Everything, everything. is exciting and fresh. <laughs> it's like nothing ever happened. No, nothing at all. It's amazing. <laughs> all, all fixed. It's all good. Fixed. Uh, you got any New Year's resolutions? I do, uh, but I'm not telling you. Okay. All right. this is going to be a this is going to make for great radio (laughs) i am uh i'm playing a little music that's my new year's resolution that's my goal anyway playing a little music wait wait you mean that you're making making yes you're making music well look i like years and years ago i played guitar and uh i've always always had a guitar around the house and i pick it you know pick it up every like six months uh but uh, the kids are now they're all taking the music lessons and they're practicing trying to get them to practice every day between you know all of these kids there's at least one practicing every day and i'm like playing along with them so i started you know kind of picked it up a little again good that's great um and it's nicely analog it's not in front of a screen it's off off the offline so i'm very happy about that so that's a trend yeah for sure so uh, let me tell you the only New Year's resolution that's ever worked for me, and I've, I've just been carrying it forward every year. <laughs> if you don't know what to do, read. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Like a book, you mean? You know, not yeah, like, a book. A book. Not like scrolling through another feed. No. Because I, so I, I, you know, I'm an anxious person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, I, you know, I, I was, I found myself doing a lot of pacing around. Like, I don't know what to do now. I don't know what to do now. I don't know what to do now. Yeah. So I, fa- I, I, I found that by giving myself uh, a rule that if, if you're w- pacing around and uh-huh. saying, I don't know what to do, there is an answer. There's a, there's a rule that you've decided, you know, oh, this is when you sit and read. Right. Yeah, that's good. It's like having something to go to when you're quitting smoking, right? Like Exactly. In this situation, I can't make a decision. I just have to follow a rule. Right, you like can't it. not do a thing. Right, so you're so you're reading. Got a got any? What are you reading now? Anything good? I just I just finished I just finished a great book, uh, uh, a collected science fiction anthology mm-hmm. called "The Future Is Female." Oh, nice! And, and it goes from like 1920s to like 1960 something. Uh, just uh, female science fiction writers. Nice. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. Get it's it on a, Amazon. It's a really good book. Cool. That's fantastic. Um, you want to talk about talking about things? Oh, I love talking about talking about things. You're good at it, too. And I think today we're going to be talking about talking about talking, talking about, things. about things. Yeah. Super meta. Um, here, I have a quote for you. This is a quote sure. from your first book, uh, Design is a Job, uh, which is fantastic. I'm gonna, we'll go on and on Thank about how you. great that book is. But uh, the quote is this. A designer who does not present his or her own work is not a designer. Yeah, I stand by that. You stand by that? All right. <laughs> I stand by that. Uh, I wanted to talk about presenting design uh, because it is 
a skill that needs to be learned, I have found. There's a few people I think that might be naturals at it, but almost nobody is, right? And I think there's a fair few designers who are happiest kind of with their headphones on, sitting in front of a giant screen, lost in a flow of pixels, making something beautiful. Uh, it's certainly Which been, is great. Yeah, it Which is. is great, it's, by the way. It's certainly been uh, a place, a place of, of, of uh, almost a comfort for me to be able to do that kind of work, you know, just lost in it. And and you look up and like, how did it get dark? Right. That kind of stuff. Yeah. But the, the thought of taking that work into a conference room and showing it to a bunch of people who don't understand the craft and will make a bunch of ridiculous suggestions is kind of a nightmare, but it is uh, perhaps even more important. I think you would uh, argue. Well, it's the job. It's the job. So we get hired to fix things or make things from scratch, either way to, 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 to do a thing. And uh, that thing has to have a goal. And you need to test whether it actually accomplishes that goal or not. Mm -hmm. And you need to, and and the people who hire you for this are people who more likely than not have a different skill set than you do. So it's not a matter of them not understanding the craft. You don't understand their craft. You do a different thing than they do. But you still need to convince them that what you did actually works to solve this goal. And I mean, I've seen people do like amazing work, like beautiful work. And I've looked at it and I've, and I've asked them like, okay, what's this supposed to do? And and I can tell looking at the work, well, I think that's actually going to do what you said it was going to do. That's good work. Then they get in front of uh, their client or their boss or their team or whatever. And they, they, they don't know what to say. Right. So you've got all of this amazing work that, you know, just going right into a trash can because they didn't know how to sell it. Oh, and by the way, that word really upsets designers. Sell it, sell it, sell it. You got to sell it. Um, and 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 what happens then is you did the good work, you couldn't sell it, and now you're going back to your desk. And it's a really good thing that you enjoy moving pixels around because you're about to do it for another couple weeks. <laughs> what do you think it is about that word? Sell it or selling your work what the, the concept of it oh that's a marketing word you think that's it i i think that's part of it yeah. it's a nasty word um it's it's uh it reminds designers that they're actually doing something for money hmm. which which upsets a lot of them hmm. interesting well then you end up going back to your desk and working for on a, for another couple of weeks to solve a problem that you that you feel you've already solved probably because you have so you don't know why the hell you're working for another two weeks. And at this point, you're like, you're just moving shit around your plate. And meanwhile, the timeline on this project is being destroyed. The profitability on this project is being destroyed. Every project behind this project is now getting sweaty and nervous. And I mean, this is, this is, the, the, this is the money reason, the financial reason why presenting work is important, too. Sure, sure. Because yep. I mean, I've I've been running a, a small little studio for for a while now, and what ruins a pro- what most often ruins a, or puts a project in jeopardy is the projects before it. Mm, interesting timelines going off the rails, sure. deadlines not being met. I need to make sure that every project going through the shop is sticking to its 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 timeline that we've allocated to it, and that means I need to present this work really really well. Not just for the sake of this project, most definitely for the sake of this project, but also for the sake of all the projects behind it. Interesting. Yeah, for sure. For sure. 
you sort of painted a scenario of a designer doing a bunch of work, getting up in front of the team and having it go poorly. Uh, what, what, what happens in those scenarios? What is like present, not presenting well, not presenting well is, is, um, the, not speaking to the goals of the project, right? Not speaking in a, not understanding the audience that you're presenting to. Hmm. Not, not figuring out how to present the, the work in a way that the audience that you're presenting to cares about it or understands it. I have seen designers go on for 30 minutes about typography with like the CEO, the CTO, the CFO in the room. <laughs> and I'm sitting there mesmerized because, you know, I care. Like, oh, this is really interesting to me. Because, I, I, you know, I, I dig the typography. Meanwhile, these people who are actually like paying the bills on this project and who's, who, who hired you to solve their problem are like, I don't understand what's going on. This, is, this has nothing to do with uh, what I think I hired you for. And the, the worst possible thing that can happen in a situation like that, and I think we've both seen this, is they actually have an opinion on the thing that we're talking about. So now you've got a CFO talking to you about typography <laughs> because you brought it up. I mean, one of the things that I talk about in the presenting workshop is don't bring up things you don't want people to have opinions about. Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to write that down. That's really, don't bring up things you don't want people to have opinions about. Right. When I'm collecting feedback from people at presentations, like I will turn to like the, the chief engineering officer and I'll, I'll, I'll tell her, I need feedback from you about how this work fits in, you know, with your current backend schema. And that, that's, that's, your, that's your homework. That's the thing that you can give me better feedback on than anybody else in this room. So it's, it's really important that, I mean, the worst thing that you can do in a presentation besides, you know, sit up there, you know, and go, ah, ah, <laughs> is say, okay, does anybody have any sort of feedback? Right. It's confusing to people. They don't know what you expect from them. There's no class for giving feedback that people went to. In fact, so one of the things I've often said is one of the roles of designer on the on any particular team is to teach the team how to give them feedback. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. We never got taught how to do this stuff. No. So I've been doing this workshop for about three years now, and I've done it all over the world. And uh, I always ask people, like, did you learn who, like, who, who here went to school? design school or whatever. And I, and by the way, I do this for, I do this workshop with engineers and product managers and, and oh, marketing great. folk. It's awesome. not just designers. I mean, presenting your work is important no matter what you do, but you know, designers are my people. So I feel most comfortable with them. Yeah. And I feel like I can yell at them a little more. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I always ask them like, did you, did you, did you go to, did you go to design school? And, and you know, by and large, like, yeah, um, except for the old ones. Uh, but the new kids are like, yeah, I went to a really great accredited program at design school, learned all this great interaction stuff. Did they teach you how to present? I, you know, we did. Yeah, of course we did critiques. <laughs> yep. Uh, a, a critique is not a, a, a presentation class. You're dealing with a room full of people who care about the same stuff that you care about. 
So, you know, when you go on your 30-minute rant about, you know, typography and grid systems and, you know, JavaScript frameworks, everybody else in the room is like, uh-huh, I really care about that. That's really interesting. Please say more. But then when you're presenting work, most most often than not, you're dealing with, you know, people who care about, you know, the health of their business, uh, hopefully the health of their user base, uh, getting this project out on time. It's it's a it's a mixed crew, and they don't share you the enthusiasm that you have for for the things that you're enthused about. And you need to figure out how to speak to that room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the problems that I see a lot of times when people are presenting design to me is that they're they're, they're not telling me a story. Right. They're literally like walking through the screens, top to bottom, left to right. Oh, that's the real estate tour. <laughs> that's so, good. I like that. <laughs> oh, real no, estate tour. No, we. We do a whole thing about the real estate tour. Step right in. Let me show you the nav bar. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> starting here, starting here at the at the uh, the top left, uh, we've we've put your logo. Yeah. And um, if you take a couple steps over to the right, uh, we've got what uh, you know what we're calling navigation here. <laughs> uh, let me read to you every word uh, that I'm using there, um, and then. Um, if you go over to the right a little more, we've got what we're calling uh, secondary navigation huh? Huh? and uh, your search box. Now, if you step on down a little bit and, and they will go <laughs> all, they the way will all the way through. Yeah. And what they're not telling you is why the heck they have put this stuff in this order and why they have put made some things bigger or smaller or why stuff was left out and and they're leaving all of that for the people in the room to figure out you ever buy a house uh yeah recently in fact okay great so did the real estate agent take you down to the basement start talking to you about the foundation <laughs> really strong concrete down here we've poured some amazing concrete let me tell you about these struts and like walk you to the very top of the house piece by piece. This sheetrock that we're using here. Let me tell you. Let me tell you a little bit. It's interesting. It's serif sheetrock. Uh, well, no, the answer, of course, is no. She, uh, <laughs> she did a tremendous amount of work to help us visualize our ch our children being raised here. Exactly. It, it's it's like they like a real estate agent. Like they there's that weird cookie stuff that they put in the oven before you get there. <laughs> Not to sure make they, the house, I'm not sure they do that over here. But um. well, they 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 do it over here because this is a horrible place. Uh, but you know, they they make the house smell like it's being lived in. They make it smell like cookies. Right. If you if you have kids, they make sure that they drive you through the the closest park on your way in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They make sure that they sh they're showing the house at the same time that the hot UPS driver is pulling up in the little shorts. <laughs> They they get you to visualize being in this house. They get you to want the house. Yeah. And then if you're, I mean, if 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 you're a, a smart homeowner, then you go in and you check all the little details, like is the foundation uh, is a solid foundation, et cetera, et cetera. But they they understand that the most important job is to get you to want that house. Right. Design is like that too. I mean, there's there's a. The phrase that I've used in the past is "design like a scientist and sell like a like a huckster." Huckster, I like that. Huckster, part. yeah. Design like a scientist and sell like a huckster. Because, 
let's assume like I, I've one, one of the things I say in this workshop is I have absolutely no desire to teach you how to sell work. Hmm. So for the purposes of the workshop, we have to assume that everybody here is doing good work. Mm-hmm. And teaching you how to do good work is beyond the the purview of this workshop itself. Um, but, you know, in order to do th- there's there's certain steps that we take to ensure that the work is good. And I'm sure that you've talked about this on this podcast oh, before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's all covered. All the work is good. Yeah. So by the time it comes to sell that good work, we got to get people to see themselves in the work. We got to get, we get, I have to tell you the story about how your users are going to come to this work or your customers or whatever you call them, come to this work and actually accomplish the things they need to accomplish and walk away feeling like, Whoa, that was really great. I did everything I needed to do and it felt pleasant. Mm. That's the picture that I need to paint in your head. Right. And if I'm just walking through, like, this is blue, this is green, this is sans serif, this is a, a, a four by three, et cetera, et cetera, I'm not painting that picture. What I'm doing is I'm giving you the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle and asking you to put it together. And that's too much work. I got to do that work for you. Yeah. I want to uh, take a little break here. And I want to, when we come back, let's talk more about how we actually paint that story, paint that picture, tell that story. Uh, but first, we have two new sponsors to the program in the new year. Uh, I want to tell you about the first one right now, and that's ExpressVPN. So pay attention to this, Mike. That's important for you, too. Um, there are uh, so many stories in the media recently about all the ways that our data is put online uh, or, the, or the data that we do put online is used in ways that we never dreamed of. The reality is uh, we are all being tracked by social media sites and marketing companies and possibly even your internet provider. And they're recording everything you do, every website you go to, selling it to companies who want to profit from it. Uh, you know, a, a few years ago, I might have thought this is kind of tinfoil hat conspiracy theory stuff. Uh, but now, literally, tech executives are being uh, questioned by senators in hearings. So, like, this stuff is real. And you've probably heard somebody very sternly telling you, you should be using a VPN. And you probably thought, Ugh, that sounds super complicated. But does not have to be because you could be using ExpressVPN. It works by securing and anonymizing your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. You can turn on ExpressVPN with just a single click. It's easy to use, runs in the background of your computer, phone, tablet, whatever. They gave me an account about a year, about a month ago, uh, and I've been using it. Uh, ever since. And I have used a bunch of these enterprise VPNs, like when I had big corporate jobs and I had to log into internal resources and stuff like that. Holy crap is Exp- Express VPN so much better than those. Uh, I've been using it on my Mac and my iPhone. It's literally, it's a, it's a super simple app. Well-designed, uh, feels like a native app, feels like it's supposed to be on iOS. Uh, you open it up, you tap the big button that says connect, and a few seconds later, you got a secure connection. So I can see why Tech Radar recently rated them the number one VPN service. All of this is just seven bucks a month, and it comes uh, with 30 day money back guarantee. So try it out. You don't like it, they'll give you your money back. Here's the deal if you pay for a year up front, they'll give you three extra months for free. But you have to use the link expressvpn.com slash presentable. You can find that link in the show notes. So don't put your browsing history in the hands of your internet provider because uh, it's none of their business. Instead, go to expressvpn.com slash presentable. Three months free. Peace of mind. Thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of presentable and all of Relay FM. Mike, I don't even want to think about what's in your browser history. 
My, you, you gotta hide that stuff. <laughs> you gotta hide that stuff, man. <laughs> well, actually, I'm looking at your browser history right now, Jeff. Um, and and wow, wow, yeah, this is surprising. See, it's none of anybody's business. Nobody should. You, nobody gets to see that. I get to go to whatever website I want, and I get to do so completely privately. We've. Uh, that that actually sounds like a very useful tool. It does. It's good stuff. Yeah, they're, they're good. They're good folks over there. All right, so we're gonna paint a picture uh, in the minds of our CTOs and CEOs and head of sales about how the thing they're seeing on the screen right now is exactly what our users need. Yep. I have here's the here's the phrases that I listen for when people are presenting design to me. I listen for so when we started this project, our goal was to. Yep. And then hear it very clearly. And then hear a therefore, we did this. Right. Yep. Or even better, then we went and talked to users and we learned this. And yep. therefore, we put this here. I would be very happy to that's sit it. in that presentation. That's it. That's all you got to do. There's, that's what's that's like three or four s- phrases. Fill in the blanks. Yep. It's Mad Lib style. And that's uh, to me, that's all I really need. Right. I don't, you know, all the other decisions will flow from that. And so when I teach teams how to give good feedback, I tell them, don't look at the thing and say, I don't like that font or I don't like that blue or why is that there? Ask somebody how they made the decision to, yep. to present, to, to put the things in the order in which I am seeing them now. Like what was, what was the thought process? As you turn that into a story with a beginning, middle and end, and especially if you have a protagonist, like love it. Yeah. If you can, I mean, if you can, you need to get me thinking about the people who are using the thing that you're making. Yeah. And and how it's going to work for them. And you know you need to tell me that that the work is good. Don't don't wait for me to figure that out. Just go ahead and tell me. Tell me the work is good. Mm-hmm. That's good. Here's so whoever you're presenting to more more likely than not they're going to leave this presentation and they're going to walk up to another floor and they're going to talk to the person who they report to. And that person is going to ask them, how did that presentation go? How's this project coming along? And if you can give your person the words that they can use for that conversation, you're gold. Yeah. You and I have both seen Steve Jobs presentations. Sure. He would hook onto a word or a phrase and he would repeat it over, over and over and over and, oh over, and over. And I mean, and, and, and you'd be watching it at work on somebody else's dime because what good workers do. Well, it's and research. Then, it's research. Well, of course, it's yeah. research. And then your buddy who'd been, who'd been doing you know, something else would come up to you and say, hey, did you see the jobs presentation? Did he announce something? Yeah, he announced a new iPod. How was it? It was awesome. Mm-hmm. You're like, what? wait, why, why did I say it was awesome? Because he told me to say it was awesome. <laughs> He used the word awesome 57 times during the presentation. So if I'm presenting work, I need I figure out what the the story that I that not not just the story that I need to tell you, but the story that I need you to be repeating to your team every time you talk about this work. That's good advice. It's similar like I talked to a lot of people earlier in their career these days. And one thing I tell them all the time is try to figure out what makes your boss anxious and then do things to relieve that anxiety. Oh my God. That's so good. The way I phrase this, 
is people hire you because they have a giant ball of anxiety that they don't know what to do with. (laughs) So you walk into their office and there it is, a giant, nasty, gristly, oily, hairy ball of anxiety sitting on their desk. And they really don't want it there. So if you're good, you can convince them to hand that to you. And if the project is successful, they never have to see that ball of anxiety again. Like you take it back to your office, you do God knows what to it, and in, ex- in, in return, they exchange it for, you know, some working design stuff. Mm-hmm. But any time that you remind them of that giant ball of anxiety, you, you, you're willing it into being again. So essentially, if you hire me to solve a problem for you, that means you don't have to worry about it anymore. And when I'm presenting work to you, I need to be exuding confidence in the work that I'm doing to make sure, because, you know, confidence is a transitive thing. The point of me being confident when I'm presenting work isn't so that I look good. It's so it's, it's to pass that confidence along to you. Like that ball of anxiety that you handed me, it ain't coming back. I'm taking care, you, you, you're paying me to, to take care of something. I'm going to take care of it. Mm. I have taken care of it. Here I am taking care of it. You're never going to see it again. I've got this. You're essentially telling your client every time that you talk to them, don't need to worry about that. I've got it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think a lot of people often start, I see this even at conferences as well, starting a presentation, uh, by apologizing. You know, like saying, yeah. um, you know, so I, I had hoped this presentation would have been, I tried to make it a little shorter. And I, I, so I hope you don't think that I like all of those when in fact, the first words out of your mouth should be the first sentence of your thesis, right? I've seen people walk into, to walk into rooms and apologize to furniture after they've banged into it. <laughs> I, I wish that was a joke. Yeah. Meanwhile, the person who just wrote you a check for 300 grand is about 10 feet away, watching you apologize to a chair from Office Depot. (laughs) People are so nervous. I mean, it's a super normal thing to feel that nervous. What do we do? What do we do with all those nerves? We do. Of course, we, well, throw up before you leave for the (laughs) client's office. First time I ever presented work to a client, you know what I did? I threw up in their bathroom. Oh, my God. How do you think that presentation went? Uh, I don't know. How, does that work for it you? It went awful. Oh, oh my God, it was you. awful. I didn't know what to do. But, you know, I walked in. I walked in, You know, I was like 20. So I thought, you know, I've, I, I just did the best design work that's ever been done in the history of design. Because that's what we do when we're 20. Of course. Can't, can't wait to show it to these people. They're going to be amazed. They're probably going to throw me a parade or something. I'm definitely getting a bonus for this work. <laughs> And then you, you know, you walk up to their conference room, you see the great big highly polished table and uh, all of a sudden it's like, oh God, I've never felt this before. And you run to the bathroom, you throw up. (laughs) Because you realize you have no idea what to actually do once you get in that room. It's a learned skill. I mean, you you said earlier that there there are people who who probably have a, a talent for this. Uh, and I think that's true. There's some people who are who are probably more inclined to it than not. I'm not one of those people. I've never been one of those people. Yeah. I'm anxious by nature. I I would rather sit in the corner, you know, making things 
But I found out very early on that that was going to lead to a very short career mm -hmm. that other people controlled. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So if I actually wanted agency over my career, then I was going to have to do things that I was very uncomfortable doing. So I was going to have to learn this stuff. And by doing it over and over and over and over, you eventually, there comes a time when uh, you forget to be scared anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, that's not the same as, you know, inherent confidence, but you just forget to be scared. Yeah, that's a good point, you know? And, and, and well, I mean, basically, you know, therapy around coping with our fears is to expose ourselves to them. Right. Yes. Yeah. To like, if you don't like spiders, you know, you start with like the therapist has a spider on the other side of the room and then on the desk in front of you. And then, you know, like that sort of thing week after week, getting more and more accustomed to the thing that you're afraid of. And I think that has a lot to do with it. And that's not to like, you know, discourage people that are early in their career, but the reality is doing it over and over again takes the, uh, power away from the fear. We're, we're, I mean, we're supposed to be data driven people in what we do. Mm. And over our career, we're collecting data that, you know, getting up in front of people and presenting our work to them is not really killing us. <laughs> I have not died yet. I have not died yet. There have been presentations that have gone really well. There have been presentations that have gone really badly, but I've managed to walk away from all of them and survived another day. And that's data. That's good data. Uh, that's true. Do you know why we get scared when we do this? I have some theories, but I'd like to hear yours. We, uh, there's uh, that it's science. Uh, that part of your brain that the, what they call the lizard brain. Is this the fight or flight response? The, the fight or flight response. So it you know it tells you like um, you know when when you're safe when you, when you when you should maybe be thinking about running when you should maybe be moving your hand off the stove uh, you know things like that you get when in a presentation situation your brain the part of your brain that kicks in before any other part of your brain is telling you that there are now forty eyeballs staring at you and only two eyeballs staring back mm, yeah and it's telling you you should maybe run. Because these people are either going to fight you or eat you. <laughs> uh, it's true, right? That um, and you and you don't want to turn that part of your brain off because it turns out that's that's kind of helpful. Uh, but what you need to do is you need to get the 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 learned part of your brain to come in really really quickly and remind you, no, 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 you're good. You're just presenting work here. Yeah. See, I've been Della and. Amygdala. I'm looking it up on the internet. The fight or flight part of our brain, our reptile brain, brainstem part. Yeah, yeah. That's the. That's it's very powerful. It is. It. It. And if, and it's important too. But what's missing there? But but what you need, you need to add like that that layer of uh, um, of 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 learned traits to it, learned intelligence. Mm. So, I'm sure that there's. I'm sure we could be using much smarter words for this conversation. Oh, right I could just keep looking at stuff up on Wikipedia and, and trying that. But, um, but the, the the reality is, from from an emotional point of view, presenting our work uh, feels like a very vulnerable place to come from. It's it's a conflict situation. Yeah, and so 
sort of bound, like there's this tension between having the confidence to stand up and say this is good work and uh and essentially exposing yourself to criticism right because i right. think and i i don't think design at all has a, a, a exclusive right to this this idea i think not at all developers feel this way i think frankly most people feel this way but the work that we do feels like it's part of us and that's probably what makes the work good to be perfectly honest but then you're putting yourself up in front and saying like this came out of me and you are going to say bad things about it like that's awful well you know i i I, you know i bet engineers feel that same way too i think you know i don't want to go too far down this path but i mean you know, designers got to stop thinking that they're making things with their soul and their heart. Cause you know what, what you're doing and what you're doing is, is you're making work product for somebody. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is a, this is a craft and you, you should feel good about the stuff that you make. You should feel, you know, like you've made something that's really quality and professional, but it, you're making work product for people. Yeah. And that work product needs to, needs to meet a certain criteria and it needs to achieve a certain certain goal. And also, I mean, I, I don't know anybody who's ma- doing this stuff anymore who can claim that uh, that they're doing it by themselves, you know, without a team. So that brings up two things for me, right? First, it's like thinking back uh, a bunch of years ago when you first told me you were writing a book. And I said, what's it called? And you said, design is a job. And I think you had the title before you even knew what was in the book, right? Yeah. But – to me, that perfectly framed uh, so many frustrations that I had felt in the past by being kind of like pushed off from technical teams because like what well, design, that's just art. You're just going to go draw yeah. stuff. You just, you know, you go sit in the corner and do your little drawings and then come back and, and we'll go do the real work. Uh, and I think you framed that in your book as like, no, this is work. You are, you know, you're like sitting at the drafting table making a building. Like that's what you're yeah. doing. Yeah, and, and it's people are going to have to go are, into that building. And people and are going to have to not to die. That. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they have to not die, right? Uh, I think that's one part is uh, the, of what you're saying here is that it feels like it's coming out of our soul right? when we're, when we're putting this stuff together. But the reality is it is a bunch of pages uh, on a website or a bunch of uh, states of a web or, uh, of, a, of an app. Like that's it, yep. right? Like we're just doing the work. And it's yep. work and let's get the work done. The second part is this like this sense of isolation. And and frankly, uh, that is that is a trait that I find in designers who tend not to be very effective. Yep. Which is I'm gonna go away and I'm gonna do the work and then I'm gonna present it to you. And Can't to do me, that anymore. ultimately, I think a presentation of work is an entire team effort. Like no developer should ever be surprised by something they see on a designer's screen. They should like we should have talked through all of that stuff before it ever got into pixels. Everybody should know what's happening, and and sometimes there might be like we talked about this and I've tried three things. Let's go look at them all, and let's talk yep. about. I think the third one is the best, but I'd love your feedback. But that kind of informal, like we're just doing work. We're in the we're not in the conference room, the boardroom. Like we're just on a whiteboard. We're just figuring stuff out. Like to me, that takes away so much of the the threat of design, right? The, of the design presentation. So I mean, yeah. the combination of like, think of it as work and make it the work of the team and not just put it all on your shoulders and go away and, and do your magic. So that's my little rant. There it is. It's a perfect rant. Okay. I have no issues with it. 
that does tend to be a little bit more like I'm a designer on a team in a, in a, in a company than what you have done for the past, <laughs> I won't even say how many years, for a long time, which is the, the client work, which regardless of how embedded you try to be, it's still client work, right? It's yeah. still, uh, there is always still the us and them part of it. And so you do have to go show you, show them what you've been doing. I get that. A little bit. I mean, there's a little bit of the us and them part. Uh, def- probably most definitely more than, you know, when you're working in, in a company. But it's the us and them thing has, has, has decreased significantly since I started doing this stuff like 25 years ago. I'm old. <laughs> you and me both, buddy. Well, I mean, I, I come from, from the land of the big reveal. Do you remember the yes. big reveal? Oh, absolutely. We, we have done work. Yep. We will now pull the curtain back on the work and you will marvel at it. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, <clears throat> the stuff that we do now is more, is, is, is much more collaborative and much more embedded. And the goal is never to show people at least somebody, if not most of the client team is already familiar with the stuff that we're showing yep. when we're showing it. You know, we talk a lot about research and I mean, still like to me, the cornerstone of good work good solid research but you know when you're working with like you know financial services companies and healthcare companies and banking companies the the most amount of research even even doing you know an incredibly solid amount of research like makes you about makes you smart enough to be able to ask not a dumb question right like i can spend like three weeks like doing really good research and and then that means that I can walk up to you know my client and say, hey, I got a question about something, and it's and it won't sound totally moronic. Exactly. Yeah, they're always going to know so much more than you about their particular field. And if you're not using that that intelligence, that expertise that they have while you're doing the work, mm. you're you're just screwing up. Like that's an amazing resource to have at your disposal and you need it. So one thing that we, that we check for before, you know, deciding to work with somebody is how much access am I going to have to you? Right. Cause I'm not going to walk in here once a month, show something to you and, and hope that it's right. We're going to work together on this thing. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to come in and I'm going to have my design expertise and you're going to come in and you're going to have your healthcare expertise. And the two of us working together will figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. By, by two of us, I mean two parties. But there's no way that you can do this stuff without working, you know, collaboratively yep. in close quarters. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. All right. So, again, I got more questions, but I got to say, uh, I want to talk about a, a second sponsor. So, give me just a minute. Hold that thought. Go for it. Oh, this is great. This is our uh, uh, second new sponsor is Abstract uh, Work. Desi- uh, sorry, Design Workflow Management for Modern Design Teams. We have talked a lot on this podcast about how tech companies are realizing that design has become a competitive advantage. The problem is that the workflows and tools just have never really considered how designers work. If you are a designer, you know how frustrating it is to search and export files from one tool to another, especially when you're consolidating feedback from multiple sources and never being totally sure of what changes have been made or approved. 
And that's where Abstract comes in. The company was founded by Josh Brewer, and he was formerly a principal designer at Twitter. Uh, he was on this program just a few months ago. He's an old friend of mine. Um, you know him, Mike? You know Josh? I don't know Josh. Oh, I'm going to introduce you to Josh. He's fantastic. Please do. Yes. Uh, he was on this program a few months ago talking about this very problem. So what is abstract? Uh, you should think about it as kind of like GitHub for designers. It is your team's version-controlled source of truth. Uh, for all the design work that you're doing. It brings together all the design workflow into a single unified place for designers, developers, and stakeholders to collaborate so you can keep the work moving forward all the time. In just two years, Abstract already has 100,000 users. That's 100,000 people who are spending less time searching for files and tracking down feedback and more time focused on innovation and collaboration. Companies like Intuit, Zappos, MailChimp, they're all relying on Abstract to improve their design workflow and collaboration. So you can version your design files. That's like putting sketch files into version controls. You can tell when changes are made and by whom. Uh, you can present your work, request reviews, collect feedback, give developers direct access to all the specs, all of it from one place. So go get a 30-day trial by heading over to goabstract.com. And here's the thing they want to do. If you tweet at GoAbstract and at PresentableFM with the phrase, improve my design workflow, you will be entered into a chance to win $500 of credit on their business plan. I will put the details of that in the show notes so you can see how to do that and uh, win your free stuff. So go to GoAbstract.com for a free 30-day trial. Thanks to our friends at Abstract for their support of the show and for all of Relay FM. All right. So what were we talking about? We, we were talking about, Hey, here's the thing. Why do we want our clients to like us so much? I don't, because we're human beings, because we're human <laughs> beings and we want, I mean, honestly, like I want people to like me. Like, I think that's, that's normal. Yeah, I, right. I, it's, it's normal, but it messes up how we talk about our designs. Well, I mean, that's because we forget that we're not, that we're in a professional space. Yeah. But I mean, let's acknowledge so I can fix this. But first off, let's acknowledge that wanting people to like us is perfectly normal. Sure. And probably the sign of a healthy human being. Well, you know, we don't want to get kicked out of the tribe, right? No, we don't want to get, we don't want to get, we, I mean, honestly, like if, if after I present work, I want the, the, I want the people to, to, I, I presented it to, I want them to say, oh, I really like that. Yeah. yeah of course. I, do. I would never tell them that <laughs> or ask them that. Because that's not what they hired me to do. They, right. you know, you, you a designer has never ever been hired to be somebody's friend. You got hired to solve a problem. You should be, cons you you should be working towards solving that problem effectively, and you should be making decisions based on how well they solve that problem. Let me tell you about the worst day in my professional life. You oh, ready? Yes, absolutely. All right. So we had a, a about two years and maybe a year into into Mule. We took on a client, and you know seemed like a decent person. And um, we took on a client. We were in the middle of this job, and they you know revealed themselves to be a pain in the. Uh, we probably didn't handle it all that well. Like I said, we were like about a year or two into Mule, and we didn't have all the tricks that we do now. You know, we would present we would present ideas to this person, and they'd say, "No, no, no, let's do it this way instead." And we'd say, "Oh, that's not going to work." No, I want you to do it that way. You've you've had th this boss and client, right? 
<laughs> yeah. 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 It's normal. And I was afraid. I was afraid of this person. Because, they, you know, they were they kind of had like a bully thing going on. And, you know, they were like, they would get in your face. And, and I, okay, fine, I'll do, I'll do it the way you want. I knew that when I was doing it the way they wanted, that it wouldn't work. But I didn't want them to yell at me. I didn't want them scaring me. So I would, I just did it. Besides, they were paying me. Right. Well, that's a, that's a whole nother conversation we have to have. So, <laughs> so I did all of this stuff that they were asking me to do. And finally, the project was over, and they went away. And, and I thought, oh, thank God, that is over. We learned some stuff there. Uh, never going to do that again. Or, except six months later, there's a knock on the door, a physical knock on the door. There's that, not that an came email. To your Right. They came to the office. There was a knock on the door. I opened the door, and there he is. And he's not looking too good. A little scruffy. Maybe a little hungover. <laughs> and my heart leaped into my mouth, and I was like, I thought we were done with you. Why are you here? Can I sit down? Okay. And he comes in. And he sits down, and I sit down across from him. I just had to lay off my entire team. And I was like, oh, this isn't going to go well. Yeah. Why'd that happen? Because the project we did together didn't work. Nothing, nothing that was supposed to happen on that project happened. None of the things that we were shooting for, none of the goals that we had. And I realized that none of this was surprising to me. I knew I knew that we weren't going to meet any of those goals the minute that I caved to, you know, the stuff that I shouldn't have caved to. And because of that, people lost their jobs. And that was the worst day of my professional life. That was the worst conversation I have ever had. And I swore then and there that I was never, ever, ever going to have that conversation again. Because the conversation that I could have had six months earlier, where, where I said to him, you know what, I'm not going to do this because it's not going to work. As difficult as that conversation was, it was infinitely easier than the one that we were now having. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, but like, but that's hard. Like, I mean, because that's of That's why the, they pay us for it, Jeff. I know that. But like, think of the like inherent power balance in the, in the room. It's really hard for people when, you know, somebody, like you said, somebody's paying you. They are typically in a, in a, in a position of power, responsibility, authority in their organization. You're, you know, and, and that's confrontation and people hate confrontation. They hate confrontation as much as they like being liked. You're in the wrong business then. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but there's a lot of confrontation. Look, when you look out at the state of the internet today, and I hope I'm not moving beyond the boundaries of what we're supposed to be talking about today, I look at a lot of confrontations that should have happened and didn't. I look at what designers' roles were in building some of the stuff that's out there, and I think of all of the conversations that where we should have made a stand, where we should have said, I will not design this. I mm -hmm. will not build this. But we were afraid 
to have those conversations. We were afraid of the confrontation. We need to understand, I don't think there's as much of a power imbalance here as people think. Well said. We are designers. We are engineers. We are developers. We have skill sets that people need to build the things that they build. And sometimes I I believe that we forget, like when we talk about stakeholders in the process, we forget that we are also stakeholders in the process. When we're hired to make something, we have a say in what gets made. We have a say on whether it should be made or not. And we have a responsibility to the people who are going to be affected by this work to make a stand then and there and say, no, I will not help you put this out into the world. I think that is the responsibility that not just designers, but everybody in their professional life has. Can you, you got a car? I do not. not no, you do, not you live in London. You, don't, you don't, yeah. have I I don't have a car. I don't have a car. I had a car when I lived in California. Okay, most people have cars. I had a Volvo. It was nice. It was very safe. That's nice. So let's say you got a car. Brakes are acting a little funny. You take it into a mechanic. The mechanic says, here's how much it's going to cost to fix the brakes. And you're like, I don't want to spend that much. Give it back. Right. Your mechanic takes a look at that car and decides that car is not going to be safe on the road. That mechanic has a responsibility to do something to keep that car from being on the road. And we have the same responsibility with our work to make sure that things that shouldn't be out there in the world aren't there out there in the world. Yeah. Did, I go be- did I go beyond our boundaries today? No, we talk about this all the time on this podcast, the kind of uh, code of ethics for design. Well, I, I wrote a book. You did. I did. I wrote a book. Uh, an ethics book. It's not out yet, but it's coming. I'm looking forward to that. What's that one called? Ruined by Design. (laughs) Oh, that's great. I can't wait. Uh, How long till that one's out? I have no idea. All right. Honestly. Uh, Things have happened. I'm really looking forward to that one, though. That sounds great. That, uh, no, I think you are are spot on. Um, It is, I mean... Whether there is or isn't a, 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 an imbalance in the power in the room, speaking truth to power is something that is very, very difficult, but very, very necessary. And I think you're absolutely right. I think so much of how we have crafted this digital world um, resulted in stuff that we had absolutely no idea would happen. But when it did, we did very little about it. And, yes. um, and we still are continuing to do. No. So there's 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 a rule there's a rule that I that I give to people who uh, who take this workshop who take my workshops never work for anybody that you're afraid to say no to ah man that's great and that's going to change that's going to change throughout your career yeah because you know as you get older as you you know have you know less things to give as they say uh, you're going to be willing to say no to a lot more people than you know. I mean, when I was 22, I didn't, I didn't say no to anybody. I was just happy that somebody considered me a designer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and one of the issues that, the, one of the problems that we have right now is that you've got, um, and this is, not, this is not about age, this is about experience. You've got kids who have like no professional experience immediately, like, you know, there's like a school bus that, that 
pulls up in front of their college graduation and takes them right to Facebook. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, you're like 22 and you're working for Mark Zuckerberg and and you're not going to tell him no. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you um, you know that old story about uh, Steve Jobs and Paul Rand when they were working on the next logo after Steve left Apple in the, uh, earlier in his career. Yep. Uh, and he uh, he asked Steve Rand or uh, Steve Jobs asked Paul Rand uh, to design the logo for his new company called Next. Yep. And he said, "Would you come up with a few options?" And Paul Rand says, "No, I will solve your problem for you, and you will pay me." You don't have to use the solution. Uh, if you want other options, go talk to other people. <laughs> Which is great. To Steve Jobs, he said that. So uh, as you're getting further in your career, I think you're right. You get that confidence. And you've seen it all before, you know? You're like, ah, and you that. realize that what people ask for isn't what they, what they actually need. You don't need – so, I mean, how many times did I walk into a client's office with, you know, different options – Knowing that one of them was the better, mm. and and the other two were just you know uh, filling up contractual space. Right. Exactly. Yep. Like we promised you three, so here's three, and then and then you're like, you know, make like you're pointing at this one. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 how many times did a client say, which one of these do you prefer? And how many times did I say to them, oh, I love all my children equally. <laughs> but what we need to recognize in that moment is what that client is very politely telling you is, I paid you to solve this for me. Yep. Like when they're saying, which of these do you prefer? They're really saying, fool, do your job. Yeah. Tell me which one of these to use. And tell me it's good. And tell me why it's good. That's Convince right. me it's good. That's all I want. I want I like the story that. about why it's good. So I can go tell that story. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah, somebody's going to ask me. Yeah. You know, my, my, my stakeholders are going to say, hey, why do, we, why do we do it this way? And they're going to repeat everything that you said. And if you were confident when you presented it, they're going to be confident when they talk about it. Yeah. Absolutely. This has all been fantastic advice, but I think we're out of time. Holy heck, this went by so fast. You've got a lot to say. Uh, and we should get people over to hear you say it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to put in the show notes a uh, link to, to where you're giving your presentations, uh, to link to your book, Design is a Job, and the second one, which is You're My Favorite Client. Also, you're really good at naming books. You know that? Thank you. Uh, I, uh, you know, I always come up with the title first. Yeah, and then see where it goes. I'll put a link to your writing. Um, DearDesignStudent.com is where you guys are doing some writing. <clears throat> That's been a while okay. since we've uh, added to that. You should. But, it's um, great stuff. You can put something up there. You can. Well, you know, there's a saying when uh, – no, I'm not. I'll tell you after we stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and then – Yes, it, everything I've written you can find on Medium. All right, good. We'll, uh, I'll put a link to that there as well. And, and normally I link to people's Twitters, but I couldn't find you. I got off. You're gone. It's all gone. You deleted I'm, I'm it all. I'm gone. Honestly, you know what? <laughs> I'm about to leave Facebook too. Um, I don't miss it, man. I don't miss it at all. As somebody who spent hours of their day on there, I'm so happy to get those hours back. I spent those hours writing a book. And now you can read books. And now I can read books. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think we are doing something fundamentally awful 
to people's psyches. I don't think we realize what it is yet completely. Yep. But uh, I'm. I think we're beginning to see uh, the adulting of a generation who was brought up using social networks. Mm. That's just emerging now, and uh, frankly, it scares the hell out of me because the 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 rate of anxiety and depression in these kids is off the charts. Mm. Yeah. Well, perhaps a, a little less social networking can be a good New Year's resolution. Uh, we built it, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for being on the program. Always a pleasure. Hey, it was a blast. Thank you. You bet. Talk soon. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Dean and this was Presentable. Presentable.